Well, we're in, our, in the second week of a series uh, called Quit Being Religious. You're like, hey, is that a, is that a Mother's Day message? <laughs> it's better than last year. We were walking through Ecclesiastes when Mother's Day came around, and we're all talking about vanity. Remember that? And it was like, well, um, you know, God's Word speaks to us, and I believe this passage out of Galatians is really for all of us. Quit being religious. You know, we're, we're taking this kind of high-altitude pass through this book of Galatians, two chapters at a time, letting it challenge, I think, something that every one of us here struggles with and has to deal with, religiosity. In its simplest form, religiosity is, is going through the motions, going through the, mo- the, the motions spiritually. You know, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, they, they had these doctrinal, doctrinal degrees in religiosity. They had perfected it. Now, we don't do all the, the pomp and circumstance that those religious leaders of the day did, but we let it infiltrate our lives just the same. Now, in the first two chapters... Of Galatians, we looked at this last week. Paul is defending the gospel that he originally had preached to these churches all throughout Galatia. And what had happened, these false teachers had worked their way into the church, self-promoting a, a different gospel. Uh, a, a, and when I say the word gospel, I'm talking about a, a good news, a good message. Jesus what he brings, this life, this change that Jesus brings through his death, resurrection, the gospel. So they, Paul had come and he had taught them that you know, to, to be a follower of Christ means to place your faith in Christ alone. And these teachers now were coming in, it's like, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, you do have to have faith in Christ, but it's more than that. There's some religious practices. There's some things that you need to do as well. So it's like faith plus some stuff. They were selling this religious system, faith in Jesus plus some Jewish checkboxes. But friends, we do the same thing. We have our own little checkboxes. Paul's letter to the Galatians is, is a letter to you. It's a letter to, to me. He's speaking to us. He's calling us to put away religious activity for the sake of religious activity. He's calling us to, to stop being so religious and to get back to faith alone in Jesus alone that's empowered by the Holy Spirit alone. Now, next week, we're going to hear all about what the Holy Spirit gives us, how he empowers us to make the most of our faith. But this morning, we're going to see that Jesus, the work that Jesus has done on our behalf, has, has brought us into a, a new relationship with God. Again, those first two chapters, they were like a, a siren warning us to, to not buy into the lie of religiosity. Now, in these In chapters 3 and 4, Paul reminds us of the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. A very special and unique relationship. 
not only have we been radically changed because of the gospel, but we've been brought into new standing with, with God that affects our everyday life. Today, tomorrow, and every day. Now, what I want us to do, I want to read a portion from, our, from these two chapters. We're not going to read the whole, whole thing. Uh, I hope you've had the opportunity to read through the, the book of Galatians this week. Again, I want to encourage you. There's six chapters. If you read a chapter on Monday, chapter one, or chapter two on Tuesday, then you'll get through the whole book. And actually, you can sit down in about 25 minutes. You can read the whole thing. Galatians. I want us to, to turn to Galatians chapter three. Galatians chapter three. If you have your Bibles, and we'll look down beginning in verse 23, and we're going to read through first couple of verses in chapter 4. And as we read this, I, I really want you to pay attention to the, to the number of times that Paul uses the words or the terms sons or offspring or heir. Listen for those words. If you're using one of the Black Pew Bibles there in front of you, you can find our passage on, on page 974, 974. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 23 through chapter 4, verse 7. Paul says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. He's talking about the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments and all of that back in the, in the Old Testament. We were held captive under the law, imprisoned, until the coming faith was revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Justified just means being brought into right relationship with God. Justified, brought into right relationship with God by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized or immersed into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. Now, in the same way, we also, when, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, Oh, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those or to set free those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because, you're a, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful passage. This is one of those, I mean, 
when you read just that part right there, maybe this week, just sit and soak in it. Read it, and you're like, man, what is this? Just, just mm, let, it, let it wash over you, sons, heirs. Now, in order to better understand our, our text, you, mentioned, you, you heard he, he, him talk about Abraham. Like, what does Abraham have to do with this passage? What in the world is Abraham stuck in the middle of this? What we need to do is go back to the promise that God made to Abram or Abraham. His name was later changed back in, in Genesis chapter 12. Now, God, God spoke to Abraham back then, and he told him to, to leave his country and to go to a land that he would show him. And God promised that he would make him into a great nation, a great nation. He would bless him and make his name great. His, his family would be more than the stars in the sky, more than the, the grains of sand on the, on the shore. God was going to bless him, and through him and his people, he was going to bless all the various people groups, all the nations, all the ethnic peoples of the world. That's the promise that God made to Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis. Now, Abraham's father, they, they, the family lived in a, just north of the Persian Gulf, and they, they left there, and they went to, uh, they were in a city called Ur, and they went west, northwest to a city called Haran, and they, they lived there for quite a bit. And then Abraham's father died, and, and God makes this promise to him. And so, hey, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going I'm to make you a great nation. So here he is. It's, it's Abraham and his wife, and Lot, and it's just this small group. And so they make their way down to a, the city, a city called Shechem, right in the, in the heart of Israel. And there the Lord appeared to him and promised to give his offspring, his descendants, his sons, the the very land that he was standing upon, which would become Israel. And this promised land would be an inheritance to Abraham's family. God would would again share this promise with Abraham's son, Isaac, and he would share it again, confirm it with Isaac's son, Jacob, Now back to our text. Look back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Look at what it says. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles or bring the Gentiles into right relationship with God by faith, God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations, every nation, be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. It's interesting. It says that, that God, did you kiss this? God preached the gospel to Abraham? Like, what in the world? I thought the gospel came after Jesus. Well, the gospel is good news. It's, it's the good news of, of promise. So God shows up to Abraham and he preaches the gospel. He gives him good news. God told him, told him that he was going to bless him and would, 
bring blessing to all the nations. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless your socks off. And then through you, you're gonna, it's going to spread out into all the world. It's going to touch every nation. Man, how would you like to have that promise? We tell Bethany all the time, go and be a blessing at school today. And imagine if God used her to like bless everybody in all of her classes, all of her teachers, all of the students. And then it went out from there and it got to Dayton. Man, it was God used her to, to bless Dayton and, and then Channelview. And it just went out into Dallas. And that's kind of what, what he's saying. It goes to the end of the world. That's what God is promising. That's the gospel that, that he preached or told Abraham. And this gospel is bigger than just a piece of land there on the, on the east side of the Mediterranean Sea. It's bigger than a, than a land called Israel that the Jewish nation would receive. This gospel is about faith in Jesus who has provided the means for us not just to inherit a physical land, a physical promised land, but to inherit a spiritual place of unending blessing in in the very life-giving presence of God. Now, the false teachers were were telling the Galatian believers that they had to go back. Hey, faith in Jesus, that's okay, but here's what you really need to do. You need to go back. Some of those Jewish practices that that they used to do, you got to get back to that. You gotta gotta do these rituals. You gotta do these things to have a relationship with God. But God's promised blessing doesn't come through religious adherence to Jewish practices. God's promises to you and me today doesn't come through religious practices. Now, coming to church, praying, reading, those are all wonderful things. But that, those things don't bring us into relationship with God. And they don't sustain us in our relationship with God. God's promised blessings comes through faith in Jesus and the supernatural change that happens as a result of being connected to Jesus. And really, that's the central message of chapters 3 and 4. He summarizes it, Galatians 3.22, that verse, that verse alone says, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So the commandments of God outlined in the book of Exodus, those 10 commandments and all the other commandments, you, also in Leviticus, in the books of Deuteronomy. They show us, all those commands show us that we can't live up to what God's standard for us is. We We can't do it. He gave us, in fact, he just, he gave us the Ten Commandments to, to expose our, really expose our sinful nature and to show us our need for rescue from an outside source, rescue from us, rescue from our own sinful nature tendencies. It's like, well, I, I, the Ten Commandments, I think I keep them pretty well. We, we might even say, you know, I've never murdered anyone. 
But you remember Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount and he's like, hey, have you, have you ever been angry with somebody? And I go, yeah, oh, yeah, I've been angry. Yeah, maybe even this week I've been angry with somebody. And he's like, well, then you've committed murder in your heart. Well, okay, but I've never, I've never committed adultery. Remember what Jesus said? Have you ever kind of looked with wrong intent, that second glance at someone? So if you have, then you've, you've committed adultery in your heart. He, he, Jesus just goes through. He's like, man, you, you've broken them. You've broken them all. Well, I've never had another, I've never like had an idol, uh, like a, a wooden idol in my, in my house that I bow down to. He's like, well, do you have any other idols in your life that, that stand up above God? Ooh, yeah. We, we've broken them all. The, the commandments that God laid out shows us that we, we need someone else to come in and save us, to rescue us. Those, the, the law, the, the commandments of God... They're, they weren't given to, to rescue us. God gave Jesus to rescue us. He gave a person to rescue us and to set us free from the bondage our sin holds upon our lives. Now, did you catch when we read that passage, did you catch those words, son, heir, and offspring? Eight times it's mentioned, it's just in these few passages, these few verses together. Really, I think one of the key ways, and I think what Paul is doing here in these two chapters, he's wanting us to see that we, to, to stop being so religious, we have to start living and thinking in a different way. We can't just act like we're acquaintances with God rather than his his very sons and children and heirs. Verses 26 and 27 tell us that when we trust or place our faith in Jesus, it's like, he uses that word baptized in him. It's like we're, we're immersed in him. It's like jumping into the deep end of the pool and we're, we're just engulfed in water. He's saying we are engulfed, surrounded, immersed in Jesus our old lives have died with Jesus, and now Jesus is living in us. He's in us. We are united with him. We even take on his name, Christian. We become Christ in us, people. Every blessing bestowed upon Jesus from his Father is now granted to you and me. The promise made to Abraham is now our promise because we belong to Jesus. Now, oftentimes we, Christmas time, we read through the Christmas story in Matthew, those first couple of chapters. Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, it begins with this long genealogy. And this is why it's so important. It starts out with, with Abraham. And it's like, hey, Abraham and he, he had his son, and then his son, and then it goes down 14 generations, and you get to David. And then it starts up again, and David had Solomon, and Solomon, and it goes all the way down, and guess whose name is at the bottom? Anybody have a guess? Jesus. 14 generations from Abraham all the way down, the lineage goes to 
goes right to David, and then from David all the way down to Jesus. Jesus, the son of Abraham and son, son of David, son of God. Jesus lived a sinless life. He kept the commands and all of the law perfectly. He's the only one who ever did that. Then he went to a cross in our place to take upon himself the punishment for sin that we deserved. And, and for all who place their faith in him, for all who trust in him to turn and trust in Jesus, he takes, he takes our blame and then he gives us his blamelessness, his perfection. So when God sees us and is like, okay, did you see, okay, that command, that command, boy, I, yeah, I blew it up. He doesn't see that anymore. It's been forgiven. It's been taken away. He looks upon us and he sees the blamelessness of Jesus because our sin went to Jesus and he nailed it to a cross and destroyed it. He paid for it. See, we get a new name, a new identity, a new position. Verses 28 and 29 of chapter 3 say that we become, again, united. We become one in Jesus Christ. And because we belong to Jesus, we belong to the offspring of Abraham, just like Jesus. And we become heirs of promise, just like Jesus. We're no longer enemies of God. We are more than just acquaintances with God. Like Jesus, we become sons of God. Through Jesus, God adopts us into, into his family. We belong to him. We become sons. Friends, we become sons of the king of the universe. Let me just let me pause right here and explain why. I mean, really, this is so just profoundly wonderful and it impacts our lives right now. You may have noticed sometimes when I'm reading the pas passage of Scripture and it, it mentions uh, you know, a, a male term or male name, I'll, um, I'll add the, the female complement to it. Like if you were to look down in chapter 4, verse 12, with it still on the screen. I'll something, I might read this and I'll say, Brothers and sisters, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Brothers and sisters. See, though Paul is addressing every believer in the church, the, the culture of that time would have him address just, just the males. It's just how it was back then. Don't agree with it, but it's the way it was, patriarchal type system. So even, even though that original word here is brothers, I think it's very appropriate to say brothers and sisters because that's exactly what the intent of, of that word is. And it's what the, the hearers, when they heard that, they, that's what they heard. They heard us. But when Paul uses this term son in our passage, when he's using this word son, it's different. It's a, it's a whole different thing. I wouldn't add sons and daughters. Now, friends, we are, because we're children of God, we are all sons and daughters of, of the king. We are brothers and sisters together in Christ, 
But right here, there's something more here. We are sons. If you're a woman, you are a son of God. Now, follow me here, because this is huge. You're like, oh, he's going, where's he going? Where's he going? Hang on. Now, again, I, again, I wouldn't add daughters to this text because that would change the meaning of the passage. And again, the, the patriarchal times, I don't agree with it. I'm glad we're, we're not there. It's, I think it's wrong, but it, it is what it was back then, and I'm glad our Bibles don't try to correct that now because then we would lose some of the, the depth of what we have here. In the patriarchal times in the Bible, the, the inheritance of the father was passed on not to daughters. It was passed on to the sons. When I, my wife and I pass away, our will says that, all of our vast riches <laughs> will go to our evenly among our three kids if there's anything left. <laughs> it wasn't that way back then. The daughters were left out. They would marry into another family and they'd be taken care of. It would go to the sons. It would go to the sons. Sons are the rightful heirs of the Father. So our passage says that because of our new association with Jesus Christ, our, our united position with Jesus, we become sons of God. You and I become sons of God. Jesus came to rescue us from our inability to keep the law, to make a way for us to be adopted in, into his family as, as sons. Not just children, but sons. And as sons of God, we receive the inheritance. We receive the inheritance. And more than like what I'm going to be leaving to my kids, the riches of God, we are sons. We are the rightful now recipients of God's inheritance for us. We can't even map, wrap our minds around that. We receive the promise that was made to Abraham back in Genesis 12. And it's not just this little piece of land. For them, it was everything. It was beautiful, but that was pointing to something way bigger. We get a promised land that's not on this earth. We get heaven, we get a relationship with Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. We sang about that. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. This is ginormous. Is that a word? It just, it sounds big. That's, it's maybe something bigger, like infinity, ginormous, and beyond that. It's bigger than someone giving you a lottery ticket and then you turning on the news and they, they read out the first number and you're like, yes. The next number, yes, yes, I, this is $750 million. And you get down to that last one and you're like, oh my word, I just won the lottery. I just won the lottery, $750 million. Now, here's the problem. The government gets half of it. <laughs> and most of the people that win it, they end up losing it all, spending it all. It's gone. But God's inheritance never fades. 
It never perishes. It never tarnishes. It, it never runs out. And friends, you and me as sons of God, we get that. He gives it to us through Jesus. It's perfect, joyous, fulfilling, freeing, and endless. This is what the gospel does to us. Faith alone in Jesus alone makes us sons and heirs of God. But when we're religious, here's, here's where Paul gets us. And here's where I want to get you this morning. I want to get me this morning. When we're religious, we're just, when we're just going through the motions, our spiritual activities, when we, we end up diminishing the reality of our p- position as God's sons and making light of the eternal inheritance that's been granted to us. It's like we don't even think about it. Religiosity causes us to walk around acting like we're just paupers rather than royalty of, hev- of the heavenly kingdom. Parents, you, you may have experienced this. Like we did with, with our kids. You get this incredible gift. You're so excited about it. It's Christmas time, and you want to give it to your, to your young, young child, toddler. They open it up, and you're like, ah. And they play with it a second, and then what do they do? They put it aside, and they start playing with the box. And it's like, what in the world? Why did we spend all that? Why didn't we just give them a box? You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's kind of like that. <laughs> We're all spiritual toddlers. We would rather play in the box than, than enjoy the, the inheritance that God has made available to us. Imagine that you make some, some significant sacrifices to give to your teenager a car, truck on their 16th birthday. But rather than expressions of delight and gratitude, they seem unenthused and even a bit disappointed. And rather than drive that car or truck around, they're satisfied with just walking around or jumping on their tricycle. And friends, that is exactly what we do. That's what religiosity does. Through Jesus Christ, friends, we've been given an undeserved and priceless gift. Yet where is our delight? Where is our gratitude? Where is our awe and joy and contentment? Oh, if I can just get that raise at work, I think we'll be more happy. Oh, if we can just do this or that. Why do we walk around like vagabonds rather than heirs of the king of majesty and glory? Now, because we're heirs, because we're sons, it doesn't mean that that we won't have challenges or trials in our lives. It doesn't mean that we won't get sick or won't have some financial struggles. It doesn't mean that our marriages and our friendships won't take some work and have some, some bumpy moments. Doesn't mean that raising children will will be easy. Sometimes it takes. We got a book. Potty train your child in in, in two days. It doesn't always work like that. 
In verse 13 of chapter 4, Paul talks about a serious physical affliction that he experienced when he was with the Galatians. And it's, it was significant. It doesn't tell us what it was, but it was significant enough that it was a struggle. It, it, it brought some challenges to the people there in Galatia, and they, they suffered with him. I mean, the, the apostle Paul struggled with some kind of physical ailment. We hear also that he had a thorn in the flesh at another time. You know, walking with Jesus isn't about, it's, it's, not, it's not all um, pearls and pancakes. That's on Saturday. Encourage you to be there. But as sons and heirs of God, we're, again, we're not promised perfect health, abundant wealth, and flawless relationships. All of that, friends, is just temporal. When I married my wife, Angela, I didn't, I didn't get any of that. I got some good stuff. She got, I think, some great stuff. No, she got the raw end of the deal. You know, in fact, my, my health is far from imperfect. From perfect. It, my income is modest. It's fine. Lord provides. Our relationship has plenty of fall, flaws. But our joy and love, they don't flow out of those things. They don't flow out of those things. They flow out of the promises that we made to one another and the lifetime of living out those promises. That's what our marriage has been built upon through Jesus Christ. Our joy and love are found not in what we get from each other, but rather in giving our lives to, to one another. It's being known by and being accepted by, sacrificially loved by my spouse, loving one another in that way. Being a Christian isn't about what we get from God. But sometimes we, we come to church and we want church to give us something. We're so consumer-minded. Like Dana said at the first, like, how come they don't, they don't sing those old songs anymore? They don't do this. Or how come they don't have this? They don't have something for, for my age group or this or that. Or they don't have this program. I mean, we, we, again, it's not that programs are, are good or bad. I mean, they're, they're neutral. They can be helpful. But if we're coming to get something, we're, we're start, if I go into my marriage to get something, I'm, I'm starting in the wrong place. But religiosity does that. We come to get. Being a Christian isn't about what we get from God. It's, it's being known by, being accepted by, and sacrificially loved by God today, tomorrow, the following week, the following month, every, every breath that we take on this earth and then throughout eternity. It's not religious duty or religious activity. It's relationship. It's being sons of God. Oh, friends, we must stop being religious we must stop going through the motions of Christianity. So like, like, how do we do that? What do, you, what, what do we do? Okay, you've you convinced me. Well, let's, why not we get serious about sin? I mean, get serious. Like when we, when we sin against our parents, children, if, when you sin, disobey, get serious about it and go and say, man, I apologize. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Just learn to do that. 
Husbands and wives, when you, and you will, when you hurt your spouse, go to that person and say, honey, I, that was wrong of me. And seek forgiveness. Get serious about sin. When you've hurt, when you carry something against a, a brother or sister, when you've done something, you've thought something negative about a, a neighbor, man, that is serious stuff before God. It's, it's sin. Make it right. Go before him. Oh, God, forgive me for my selfishness, my pride, my whatever it is. And then go to that person and make it right. I think also press through religious duty and despair as you seek to move toward delight. Now, I've said before, I think duty can be a good thing. It's, you know, if, if it's Mother's Day and you, if, you, if you, we show up to our, to our moms and it's like, and you give them some flowers and she goes, oh, these are beautiful. I'm like, well, yeah, thank you so much. Oh, no problem. It's my duty today, right? And that's just not, that's not, that's not great, right? Now, there's times when duty, like getting into his word, man, this is just hard. So I, sometimes it's just hard to read God's word or to pray or to even start coming to church consistently. But if you, if you just start with duty and say, God, I'm going to just do this because I know it's the right thing to do. And God, would you, would you turn it into delight? And he will. He will. Sometimes, sometimes it's despair. It's despair that will bring us back to God. We go through a, a tragedy in our, in our lives. We, we struggle with something, a loss, a loss of a spouse, a loss of a job or financial struggles. And then that, that despair, like what do we, what do we, where do we turn? Let's, so you start going, going to church. You start reading the word again and it's, and then it, it just starts, it starts to shift, and all of a sudden it becomes alive, becomes delight. Why not, here's another thing, why not just start, just start um, giving your life away in service to others? Get involved in serving and giving. If you're not involved in some kind of, I mean, we have places, I mean, we have all kinds of ways you can serve. And I'm telling you, it's, it's fulfilling. Did you notice when you came in, like all those donuts and everything were just out there and all you had to do is just like walk up there and there it was. You just pull one off the little thing and hey, there's, some, wow, look at there, here's some fruit. You can grab some fruit and there's some orange juice. Well, somebody served us this morning to make kind of our Mother's Day kind of special. Somebody served and I'm, I'm out there I'm watching them set it up. It's just, I mean, I'm so grateful for those those folks that did that. And there's coffee out there. How does that get there? Well, people serve. And we have people in the, in the doorway there just opening the door, helping you, point you. We have people at all the different places, stations. We have our guy here in the pad there in the back helping us with sound to make me sound really good before you. All right? We, we have our, our worship team up here that's here to, to serve. It is a joy to serve. Friend, that's... To stop being religious, start serving. Find a place. We have, I mean, stop by Connect Point. There's a little sheet there. It says um, all of our serve teams, and you see a whole bunch of them. And if there's not something there and you have, you're passionate about something, we'll create something. We want you to serve. Give your life away. I think another thing, stop looking for your marriage or your friendships to give you something. 
Stop making yourself the center of your marriage. Stop making yourself the center of your friendship. Think about how you can sacrificially give yourself to these relationships. Now, kids, how about you? Um, how can you serve your mom today? It's Mother's Day. You know, like, why not uh, clean the house, vacuum, pick up your, I mean, there's plenty of things to do, right? Why not? Why do we do it just one day, one day a year? Why not serve our wives out of, and serve our moms, serve our friends out of delight, just, just to do it? Live each day with an attitude of, you've heard this, of gratitude. Why do we walk around like, oh, woe is me, it's so bad. Friends, I know depression and despair and struggles, they sometimes bear us down, and it's hard to find joy. It's like the darkness is closing in and pressing on. But we can still be thankful. I was talking to a man this morning, one of our members had some health struggles. This past week was, was rough. But he said, you know, just, you know, God's good, God's got this. I love that. I love that. Trusting the Lord even in the difficulties. Friends, being religious will get us nowhere. It will not bring spiritual change to your life. Take a serious look. Friends, take a serious look at your life right now. I mean, right now. Do you see positive change happening? Are you a different person today than you were six months ago? spiritually? Do you see some spiritual transformation taking place in, in your life, in your marriage, in your relationships? Are you loving God and others more deeply? Is selfishness and self-centeredness and anything else that begins with self, is it diminishing? Would your spouse say that it's diminishing? And if you said, if you answered no to any of those questions, friends, you're being religious. You are going through the motions. But here's the, here's the hope. Here's the joy in all of it. Today, friends, today, you can start living like a son of God an heir of the almighty God. The gospel isn't just for, for the day that you came to Christ. It's for every day. It changes us continually. The gospel isn't for the day that Jesus returns to take us to our ultimate inheritance. No, the gospel, again, is for today. Change. He can bring change in the way that we think and the way we feel and the way we respond today. Let me just ask, how many of you here want to, want to change, want to see a, less, a little less religiosity in your life? Anybody? Anybody? I'm here. I do. I want to pray for us. And let's start today like we are sons of the almighty God of the universe. Oh, Father, 
I want to stop right now and just get serious with you. I admit that in my own life, God, maybe even this week, I can look back and there's times I'm just kind of going through the motions. I'm just, my heart isn't in it. I'm just coasting. Oh, God. Oh, forgive me. God, every one of us here, God, we want you in our lives. We, God, I pray you would, you would develop and give us more of a hunger and thirst for Christ and Christ living in us than ever before. God, that today would be a new day for our lives, for our marriages, for our relationships. Oh God, change the way we think. Change the way we act. Change the way our, our heart is motivated. Oh God, change us. By the power of your spirit, our union with Christ that makes us sons. Oh God, make that reality a truth that we live. God, today and into tomorrow. Transform us for the glory of your name. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.